just so much joy for Randy, his walk with God, and then we all get to celebrate together. We're going to continue to celebrate next service. We have three more people getting baptized, and uh, yeah, Jesus is changing lives. Uh, Barbara has asked a lot of questions, really kicked the tires, which is good to do because God has so much evidence and we love God with all of our mind. And Barbara has decided to put her trust in Jesus and now she's getting baptized. Also, Peter, uh, you know, was baptized as an infant and then just religious, but now, uh, you know, he's born again, he's following the Lord and he wants to get baptized because he's made his own decision to follow Jesus. And we thank God for that. Also, Amber shares about being depressed in her teens, and then she went through a tragedy and lost her son. And uh, she has always felt like she's not worthy of God's love and even to be in church, but her sister-in-law invited her to grace, and she said she's felt at home. Now she's following Jesus, and she wants to get baptized as well. So we celebrate as a church family about how God is moving and changing lives. Uh, We are wrapping up a series today. This is The Joy of Serving, and we're going to be at the end of the book of Titus. Next week, we'll be starting a new series about Move Beyond, and we're going to step into the Gospel of Mark. Today, as we wrap up this series, Titus chapter 3, if you brought a Bible, you can turn there now, or on your phone, you can find it as well. We're going to talk about being devoted. What a key word as we wrap up this series, as we want to serve the Lord together, devoted together as we follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you how you are so personal with us. You are an eternal God who reigns, who can be trusted and is good. And also, God, not only do you see eternity, but you see the deepest places of our lives. And you come in with your love and grace where no one else can reach. And Lord, it's your kindness that draws us to you. God, we thank you for the promise that anyone who draws near to you, you will draw near to them. And God, we celebrate your grace today, this relationship with you. And Father, we pray that you would change any part of our wills, our thinking, our attitudes, our pride, our fears, that you would bring health and that you would transform us today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. When life is most challenging, how will you respond? How are you responding during the challenging times? In one word, serving. Serving, Because that's how Jesus responded. That's how Paul is responding, encouraging Titus to respond. That's how the early church was responding. And I believe that's a word for today. When you feel perplexed and there's uncertainties, it's time to serve. Continue to serve. In this series, we've really kind of changed our perspective on serving. Because a lot of times when people hear serve, they think of, oh, one task, one thing to do. Try harder. Do more. And that's not the biblical emphasis on serving. In the Bible, serving is about abiding. It's not just doing things for Jesus, it's doing things with Jesus. It's using our gifts, it's growing in our character, it's serving together with joy, it's connecting deeply, it's seeing God change lives. And that is a healthy, holistic, life-giving view of serving. It's not just a task, but actually we're never more like Jesus than when we serve. And we come alive when we serve. We're designed to serve. I'm so grateful for our church during this pandemic in the response, abiding with Jesus and responding together 
to continue to serve one another and the Lord. And the Bible says, fan into flame the gifts that God has given to you. Don't be embers that are fading and isolated, but come together, fan into flame the gifts God has given to us. And there's no limits what God can do in this neighborhood, city, or nation, and the healing that God can bring during challenging times. And this is an intentional decision. And as Paul writes to Titus, who's in Crete, there are some realities. Many people are suffering. There are schisms. There are people that are stuck in the faith. There are people with sideways energy. There is sin all around. The message of this letter is not wait until everything is calm and comfortable and smooth and then start to serve. That's not the message. The message is listen to God, abide with Jesus, start to serve where you are in the most challenging times, be faithful to God and trust God with the results. And Paul is writing to Titus, who's an understudy, and this Titus, who is stepping into this new role, this island of Crete, it's off the island, just off of Greece, many different churches, he's gonna oversee. Has God ever led you into assignment where you said, God, I think this might be too much. This might be for someone else. This, I don't think this has my name on it, God. I don't, are you sure, God? Are you sure? Because this isn't what I would have selected, God. You ever walk through that? And Titus is trusting God. He's listening to his mentor, Paul. And together, the island is going to change, but it's going to change through serving. Can we agree to continue to move forward through serving together? Whatever twists and turns this year takes, that we're going to continue to serve together and serve one another, and we find life in serving. We're going to look at three reflection questions as we wrap up this series. Why do we serve? What is that deep motivation that we have? And reflection questions, I enjoy them because I think they're empowering, they're open-ended, they allow us to dream. And in this series, we really want to listen and dream and continue to serve God after this series to take action together. So here's the three questions. The first one is, how far has God brought you? How far has God brought you? And this is a time to slow down and think through your own journey, how God has met you, transformed you, encouraged you, protected you, provided for you. And that's what Paul wants Titus to do. Let's take a look at chapter three, starting in verse three. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful, here it is, to devote themselves to doing what is good, devoted. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. At one time, Paul says, at one time looking back, not to look back because of guilt or shame or to try to live in the past, that's never why we look back, not to look back and feel defeated or it's not a cruel look back. Uh, We are loved, we are made in God's image, but look back in appreciation. Look back in gratitude, Look back and think about your own personal story. And Paul says, if we're going to be honest, which we should, 
As you look back, he owns foolish decisions, rebellion, deceived, enslaved, envy, malice, discord, basically life centered on me. This was the reality behind the veneer for the Apostle Paul. He had a religious veneer, but there was another story that was going on, and he says, this is my life before Jesus. But here's a key phrase, but when. But when, defining moments. What are those defining moments for you? Can you think of places, conversations? Maybe you could put a date on it. Defining moments in years, times when God broke through into your life, the kindness and love of Jesus. Maybe you tried to resist it, you fought it. Maybe it was unexpected. <laughs> you went to church, but you didn't expect to experience Jesus. You, know, you knew a Christian, but you didn't expect to ever follow the Lord. Uh, you were in a low place, and you didn't expect God to lift you up out of his mercy. The doctor said you weren't going to make it, and you didn't expect to live this long. Maybe you didn't expect it, but his kindness and love met you there, his mercy and grace. Because of our sin, God could have banished us, but instead he rescued us. Because of our sin and rebellion, eternal separation from God is what we faced. But God pursues us because he knows us and loves us. Philanthropia is the Greek word here, the love of humankind. That's what's in God's heart. What motivates God? The love of humankind. Every man, woman, and child, every nation, and every generation. That great love moves God. The Father sent his son to die on a cross. Moved by love, a love that we may receive. The only love that will really satisfy us. The only way we'll find contentment in life is through this love. Philanthropia, God initiates, we receive, and then we live it out with one another. That God's love may be seen and is powerful. God's love can take a stingy person and make them generous. God's love can take a selfish person and really change them into someone who's serving with joy. God's love can take the hardest heart and soften it. God's love can take someone who's very independent and bring them together into a sacrificial marriage. Take someone who has the idol of work and change their hearts so that they connect with their children and grandchildren. God can take someone who's materialistic and trying to climb that ladder to realize there's more to life than this. God can take someone who's skeptical and say, I'm not sure how much evidence there is, and reveal the historical evidence and make it plain. In open eyes, the devil wants to close our eyes spiritually, God opens our eyes to see the goodness of who he is. We might taste and see that God is good. And we celebrate this love. We praise God. We remind each other. And we spread the good news. Paul says this is profitable for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. There is no one who's second rate. There is no one that's too far out of God's reach. The gospel is for every man, woman, and child. The hope in this land right now is not the laws. It's not the politicians. The hope in this land is not to get one more educational degree, although that might be good to study. The hope in our land will be and always has been the gospel. Amen. The good news. That's what changes lives. That's what changes families. That's what heals and restores. This gospel is for everyone and uh, is profitable for everyone. And you might be thinking, well, we live in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, we've got the gospel that we read about, and then we've got the world we're living in. And how do the two come together? I was reading an article. Matthew uh, Kemmering writes this, reflecting on the Pacific Northwest. He says, a postcard from the Pacific Northwest. 
What does the future hold for secularism in the West? And he unpacks it, and I'm going to read several parts of this. He says, there is one region on the content of North America, on this continent, that has been contending with pervasive secularism for decades, if not centuries. He says, when you think about British Columbia, the state of Washington and Oregon, this region is called Cascadia. And it's long been labeled by journalists, and he's using their quotes, as the most secular region in North America. That's where we live. In quotes, pagan Portlandia, sacrilegious Seattle, and vulgar Vancouver. All right, that's how journalists describe the spiritual condition of the place that we live. Underneath that, uh, there is a go-it-alone, do-it-yourself, pioneers, loggers, and fur traders who settled in the region. Now we also see an entrepreneurial creativity, technological innovation, and some of that's good. I mean, some take initiative, innovation's positive, but it can result in this fiercely independent culture where people don't think they need God or want God. And they live in that zone right there. Uh, we have in Washington and Oregon some of the highest rates of divorce in the United States. Also, volunteering is, uh, in terms of local service and civic organizations is also comparatively low in the Pacific Northwest. So when we talk about really serving and going all out, we're going a little bit countercultural. And with this fierce independence, sometimes there's a deeply ambivalent and even anxious relationship towards any type of institution, you know, including a church. There's a fear that large institutions will ultimately limit one's individual freedom, creativity, identity, and power. That's why we need healthy churches that change the perspective and realize that a church family is a gift from God and it's good and it's from the Lord. Uh, there's also a deep and growing pluralism. This region often lacks a set of common values together because there's such a wide range. It's a fortress of secularism. So that's a description. And then this is what he pleads for. We need a new story in our region. I would say we need a move of the Holy Spirit in the Pacific Northwest. That's what we need. That's what we need. He says there are more and more cracks in the secularism, in the mentality, in the lifestyle. That people are seeing there's an insufficiency to only relying on self and being all about self. There's an insufficiency there. So the questions and challenging the Christian community. Can Christianity begin to creatively and graciously engage these secular experiences of doubt and insufficiency, loneliness and fragmentation, wonder and mystery. Can we engage? Can we build relationships, have conversations? Can we serve people who believe things very differently than we do? Also, can Christianity model an alternative way of life? Can it share the story and embody this new story where there's both individual freedom, but it's flourishing within a community? Christians engaging across cultural and religious differences with humility and hope, conviction, and also model relationship, even with our environment around us. We have so much beauty in the Pacific Northwest that speaks to a growing sense that we approach God's creation with wonder, respect, and humility. And he concludes by saying Christianity's response has often been one of glib criticism, arrogant battles, or fearful flight. And there's a better way. We should be in a place to imagine a more hopeful, creative, and generative response. And you think about where we are today and where we could go and what God wants to do. Titus was dreaming on the island of Crete. 
this island that was known for evil and gluttony and you know violence and all of these things on the island. Could the church be healthy and change Crete? Would God work through the churches in the sound to be healthy, to serve, to love, and to change the culture and the environment? There's been a couple cities in America that have never had a revival. Seattle's one of them. But for such a time as this, revival often doesn't come in days of prosperity, but it comes in deep challenges. In challenging times, how will we respond? And that takes us back to this gospel. Paul says it's trustworthy. This is a trustworthy gospel. And you can trust it. Your trusting Jesus is going to be so important in the steps forward during challenging times. If we're not trusting Jesus, it's so easy to just criticize, get into these battles that we don't need to be in. It's easy to be extra isolated, discouraged. Trusting Jesus during the most challenging times, that's at the core of our life. That's what Titus is going to need to do at Crete. That's what we're going to need to do today. How far has God brought you? The story is not over. The best is yet to come. Dream again. Look back and be grateful. Celebrate what God has done. But don't stop here. Don't stop in the challenging moments. Trust God with the next steps forward. And because God has been so good to us, we want to be faithful and devoted to God going forward. Amen? Okay, it leads to the second question. Because if we're not trusting God, this is one of the results. And this is what Paul describes to Titus. This could easily happen on the island of Crete. What is an unproductive life? What is this unproductive life? And as we take a look in verse 9, we read, But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law. Because these are unprofitable and they're useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. An unproductive life, there's some intentional steps to avoid an unproductive life. None of us here want to have this unproductive, unfruitful life. There's some practical, intentional steps. Here's the first one. We're going to need to avoid, and that word just means turn away from. Avoid certain topics that are divisive and ultimately useless. Avoid some of those topics. You say, well, what are we talking about? Paul says foolish controversies, avoidable arguments, petty stuff that's destroying our relationships, unknowable speculation, conspiracy theories, unhelpful conversations, divisive and destructive conversations. We're going to need to redirect or retreat. In those type of conversations, don't stay engaged. Uh, don't, don't, you know, entertain it, harbor it, arm wrestle till you think you won. Don't go down that road. Instead, you can redirect or retreat to biblical responses. Now, I uh, thought it'd be good to think about Jesus here and some of the ways that he redirected some comments and conversations that came his direction. Do you remember, if you've read the Bible, when there were two disciples who were arguing about, in the kingdom, who gets the best seat? Who gets to sit next to Jesus? And it's right in the context of the conversation about who's the greatest. Do we ever talk about who's the greatest? Yeah, yeah, we kind of do, don't we? So who's the greatest? You know, all about us right now, Jesus. They were talking about some seats when he was about to go to the cross. 
And that's just foolishness. Jesus redirected them and said, no, this kingdom is upside down. It's not about boasting and, and trying to take advantage of other people. Actually, it's about serving. And the greatest is the one who serves the most, not who tries to build up their resume and tell everyone that they're the greatest. So think about the cross, not the seats that you're trying to focus on, just all self-consumed. And Jesus redirected that. Jesus was talking to a woman. This is a woman who's a Samaritan. And he crossed cultural norms and with the different ethnicities, a man talking to a woman, this woman had, had many husbands, she felt hopeless in many ways, thirsty on the inside, and she started to theologically say, Jesus, you worship on that mountain, we worship on this mountain, a mountain, 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 and Jesus says, no, here's the heart of it. It's not about the location. It's not about the mountain. Worship God in spirit and in truth. And he says, I have living water for you that's going to satisfy your soul. Because it's not about all the religion and rules you've been thinking it's about. It's about this relationship with living water to satisfy your soul. Do you see the redirection that Jesus brings in the conversation? Uh, you know, the religious leader said, Jesus, we've got a question for you trying to trap him. This man has been married and, you know, there's marriages there's um, basically one spouse keeps dying again and again and again and again. And after this happens so many times, Jesus tells us, who's really going to be married in heaven? I mean, seven spouses, who's going to be married in heaven? And Jesus clarifies and says, no, there's no marriage in heaven. But here's what it is, religious leaders. You don't know the scripture and you don't know the power of God. That's at the heart of it. They're trying to trap him and Jesus redirects in truth and in love. They got upset at Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. Because again, they had all these extra rules, legalists with all these extra rules. And Jesus says, you're not a slave to the Sabbath. The Sabbath is designed to benefit you. And he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, he is the Lord. Redirection again. And he, Jesus was asked by the disciple Peter, how many times do I need to forgive someone? Like seven times? Here's the redirection, 70 times seven, meaning every single time someone wrongs you, you forgive them fully because that's how God forgives you through Jesus. So we're gonna get nitpicky and say, well, this person did that and this person also did that and this person also did that and I'm holding resentment, bitterness. Jesus says, no, no, 70 times seven. And he redirects and he says, you need to forgive everyone fully, everyone fully if you're gonna walk with God. Oh, that's a game changer redirection because it's so easy for us to go shallow petty hold grudges resentment and Jesus keeps redirecting conversations I'm telling you during the week people throw things at you they throw things at you sometimes it's gonna be wise to retreat sometimes you're gonna redirect and guide them from a certain statement right to the Savior or you're gonna guide them from some fallacy into what's solid and dependable and that's how God uses us and, and these topics and conversations that come up in terms of uh, topics that can be divisive but can be redeemed for the Lord in our conversations. And then that leads to the next point, which says, well, what if somebody in the church, not just a topic, but a person? Have you ever seen someone in the church who's really divisive and they don't want to be a team player? There's slander going on. And you can just see the results of this kind of division and divisive person. And that's a reality in Crete. And so if a person has that pattern and they're threatening, threatening, they're not teachable, they're not listening, they won't change, they just keep sowing seeds of division, 
Paul says, look, Titus, it's not going to be easy to lead through this, but warn the person twice. Just in love, say, this is what you're doing. Do you see the results? Do you see what it's doing to the body right now? All right, that's not right. We, we want you to align with God's word. We want to walk together and honor Jesus. And if that person says no, then you have the conversation again. The goal is restoration. The goal is restoration. But warn them twice. He didn't say warn them 20 times. <laughs> he didn't say just let it fly for 10 years. Warn them 20 times. If they keep bringing more and more division, I don't know. Eventually, maybe it'll just get better. That's not what he says. Warn them twice. And, and the Bible says drive out the mocker and out goes the strife. And so there is a time here, Titus, where you're going to need to be courageous. And there's going to be some people who undermine and cause a lot of harm in relationships. And what they're saying is, is very dangerous. And, and you're going to need to warn them. And sometimes they're going to be asked to leave the church. Now, um, what's underneath that? Here's what's underneath it. Unity is so important. It's not that the person isn't important. They're extremely important. The goal is restoration. They would return and be united. But unity is so important. Alignment is important. Honoring God's word is important. The witness of the church in the community is important. And all of those things are so significant that there's going to be times where someone might need to be asked to step aside, praying for restoration. So that kind of unity together. Sometimes there's going to be people, sometimes there's going to be topics, Titus, where you're going to have to walk through because it can lead to division, it can lead to unproductive lives. And uh, in terms of following Jesus and uniting together, I wanted to share from a book, and this is Eduardo Braun, uh, People First Leadership, and he shares a story about um, stone carving. And I think this is a great, just encouraging, uh, in terms of serving together, not unproductive, but productive, aligned as a team, glorifying Jesus. Well, he tells a story, this fable, about walking through and seeing stone carvers. And he talks to the first one. And he says, tell me about what you're doing. And the first one says, well, I'm carving this stone. It's my job. I get paid. And it puts food on the table for my family. It's my job. And that's noble. I mean, to work, to provide for a family, that's noble. Well, the second one is carving stone. And the conversation continues. Tell me, you're carving stone. What are you doing? Well, artistically, I'm creating this figure and I'm designing it with beauty. And I'm, you know, it's not just putting food on a table, but now there's this creative, imaginative, artistic use of skills and carving in the stone. Wow, that's excellent. Uh, it's not just a job, but there is this purpose. And then the third one, walking up to the third one who's carving stone, saying, tell me, uh, what are you doing carving this stone? Well, what I'm creating here is I'm creating a place. I'm creating a place where people can worship God. We're building a cathedral, a place that would inspire, a place where people could connect in this relationship with God. I'm carving this stone to be part of a cathedral where lives would be changed and fulfilled because people come to know God. Do you see all three levels? There's the material providing for a family. There's the artistic, and that's the um, beauty. Uh, and then there's the inspirational, which people can experience God. All three are working together in that setting. All three have some merit or value. But when you serve during the week, why are you serving? Is it just to meet some needs that are right in front of you? 
Is it to use your gifts to display the beauty of God? Is it to help people connect with God? When we start to see the many purposes of serving and bring it together in one, you could ask someone, you know, why do you serve downstairs uh, in, in the great classrooms with the kids? And someone might say, well, I'm serving Robin and Andrew and Carlos and Shaniqua and Tommy, and I'm building some relationships. And that's awesome. That's what it's all about. But what is God also doing? God is also bringing together the generations in our church. God is strengthening the kids so they'll experience God here and at home. God is raising up a healthy church. We would inspire other people in the sound, connecting with other churches. God wants to do something in the Pacific Northwest that we've never seen before. And all of those are connected together. And when we start to see the wonder of God's hand, how he works through serving, we're inspired not to live unproductive lives, but to be part of a team, whether it's in the church or in our community, in our homes, because we know there's physical things, there's artistic things, there's inspirational things, and ultimately God is building up his kingdom, and we have the honor of playing a part. And when you think about the different roles and teams we have at Grace Community Church, so many different teams, I wanted to share from the sewing team, because every team is important at Grace and maybe the sewing team isn't you know, front and center all the time, but listen, this is what they've just done together. Uh, 22 quilts for the Auburn Food Bank, 19 quilts for the children's home, 11 quilts for Step by Step, 51 quilts for Foster Champs, 103 total quilts just distributed locally, another 16 compassion quilts. Praise the Lord. 16 compassion quilts for widows and cancer patients. In September, also nine baby hats, two baby Afghans to give to Olive Crest, another ministry we partner with that takes care of foster kids and kids needing forever families. Also for October, we have little dresses for Africa that we will sew and send. And you think about, praise the Lord. There is no lack of opportunities at Grace to come together. There are so many teams serving at Grace. We serve here in the church family, we serve one another, and then we serve in the community, we serve in our homes. It's just a life of service that's a deep joy. And uh, God is working to bring people together on the island of Crete. God is working to bring people together here at Grace. And, and I'll tell you this, uh, for me, I just hate the thought of life being so short and that I would just waste it on meaningless stuff with my time. I would just look back in this such a short life before eternity and think, you know, boy, I just stayed isolated, discouraged. I didn't take risks. I didn't really live for Jesus. I got wrapped up in myself, materialism. It's like, wow, that's just the last thing I want at the end of my days. Does that resonate with you? Do you know that we're going to come before the Lord, spend eternity with him? I'm not saying that in a pressure guilt way, but isn't that just what life, a great reminder and a conviction? This is what life's all about. It's not about petty arguments and divisive. It's about aligning and uniting and glorifying Jesus and doing it for God's kingdom. That's what it's about. And as Paul describes this to Titus on the island of Crete, it leads to the last question. What is the potential of the church? What is the potential here at Grace Community Church? This year, this decade, how does God see Grace Community Church? Where will God lead us together? Let's take a look at verses 12 and 15 as they're considering this island of Crete and what God's doing to build up the kingdom. 
As soon as I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. You say, wait a second, that's the exclamation point? That's the culmination? That's the end of the letter in the series? Like we just read a bunch of names of people that like, who are these people again? Well, ministry's personal. Everyone's important. And that's the flavor of the letter. That's the flavor of God's heart. He knows everyone, cares for everyone. Everyone's role is important. Everyone's story is important. And we're on mission together. So who are these people? Tychicus? I mean, not a lot of Bible studies on Tychicus. Uh, Easy to read through the whole Bible several times and not even think about Tychicus. Who is this? Devoted, going to where the needs are. Acts chapter 20, who's delivering money to people who are poor in Jerusalem? Tychicus is going on that journey. These letters that are written, they're not sent by email. It's not a text from Paul to Ephesus to the Colossians, the Ephesians. You know who delivered those letters? Tychicus. That should remind us that there are so many important roles behind the scenes. Tychicus, maybe no one appreciates you like they should. Maybe no one's really saying your name. Maybe you're behind the scenes. The Bible's clear that those who are serving behind the scenes are even more valuable in a sense. Those organs that we have in our body that you don't see, they're so valuable. The body together, Tychicus. Well, what about Paul? A lot of people know the Apostle Paul. He's in Nicopolis. Well, what's he doing there? This is the western side of Greece. It's a reminder That Paul is not just sitting back like, oh yeah, I've accomplished a lot spiritually. (laughs) Wrote a lot of the Bible, planned a lot of churches. You know what mode he's in? Who could I reach next? He's not coasting. He's not like, yep, check it off, retirement. I'm coasting for the next 20 years. He's like, God, where do you want me? Nicopolis? Okay, I'm there. Strengthen churches, lead people to Jesus? I'm there. That's the mode he's in his whole life, which is biblical. Then we have Titus, who's devoted He's faithful in Crete, but now what does God say through Paul? Go join Paul in Nicopolis. Well, it's almost winter time. Safety, traveling, sea travels, it's coming up on winter. This sounds perilous. There's a whole work to be done in Crete, and yet I'm going to step away from that. It's a great reminder when God calls you to something, continue to hold it loosely. It might be for a season. But then God might call you to another place. Maybe it's going to be risky. Maybe your heart's still in Crete. You know, maybe Titus saying, look, God's doing so much in Crete. No, no, no. Actually, go join me in Nicopolis right now. Well, then who's going to step up? Well, who do we pour our lives into? When we leave a role, do we just leave it and then the ball just drops? We're like, whatever, I'm done. Or, Or have we trained up and built up other people, equipped other people so that they're ready? Which one? Well, we've got uh, a couple more people to think about. We've got uh, Zenus, who's a lawyer. Some of you didn't think there was much hope for lawyers. I want to tell you it's biblical. Leadership, light, love coming from this lawyer. Uh, Anyone can choose the lordship of Jesus and glorify God where we live, work, learn, or play. Zenus stepping up. What about Apollos? Apollos is from North Africa, Alexandria. 
Don't forget here, and it should be everywhere, a church of many generations, many nations, many ethnicities coming together as one. Well, Apollos, he was gifted, but he needed some training. Who trained him? Well, it was a married couple, Aquila and Priscilla. They mentored Apollos. A married couple mentoring someone who's single and has a lot of potential. Why? Because we're one body. And we just say, God, where do you want me to connect? Not everyone has to look like me, be the exact age and stage of life. Like we can come together like they do in the Bible. Come together. And Paul says, everyone with me. Teams, 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 teams. Life groups, life groups, life groups, life groups, life groups. You know, sometimes people ask, what's the best way to get connected at Grace? Get in a life group because that's what Jesus does. He forms a life group in life groups, small groups, discipleship groups, whatever name you want to choose. Get in one of those and then make disciples who make disciples. Get connected, get in one of those. Well, what else? Serve on a team with other people. Serve. You say, well, this team isn't exactly perfectly healthy. Well, then go in and change the culture and make it healthier and serve together and grow together and learn together. That's the biblical for every church. I would just say those are really important prayerful considerations. I'm not saying this message to serve till you get burned out. Burnout it is not coming from God. That's never a message. Some people get burned out because um, there's these false pressures. Well, God will only love me if I'm you know, going 150% constantly. Never take a Sabbath. You know? No, God loves you before you ever do a second of serving. Some people burn out because they're trying to please everybody. Some people burn out because they're just doing um, you know, what they've always done, but they're not listening to God in this season. So there's a lot of reasons for burnout. Burnout's not coming from the Lord. That's not the message here. This is a life-giving service, a life-giving connection with other people. Uh, what could God do with devoted people today. You know what the Bible tells me? God looks to and fro across the land to strongly support anyone who's devoted to him. God looks to and fro across grace, eager to strongly support anyone who will say, I'll be devoted to you, Lord. I was walking our dog, Bella, six in the morning, walked a couple miles, and I got to tell you, at that moment, I was feeling pretty good because I walked Bella, we went for a couple miles, I had that moment in the morning, like, do I want to get out of bed, do I want to stay in bed, forget the walk, I don't have much time, should I walk Bella, should I not, but we got up, Bella and I went for it, out in the dark, we walked, then at the end of the walk, I heard some noise, and then I saw someone standing there, and I got curious. I'm someone who usually explores, asks questions, goes and checks things out. And so what I found, and this was uh, a view right here, is um, what I found is this picture. And it's like, okay, what is going on right there? Can you see in the water there? This is a lake, very early in the morning. I didn't know, didn't think about this was happening, but we were close to the lake at this point, and I went over, walked away, and explored it. And what's happening right there, people swimming in the water. And you see a couple other pictures, and uh, we've got, there's a close-up, so you can see it kind of looks like a race, doesn't it? It is a race. It's a triathlon. And look at, people are there cheering their friends and family on. And I think one more picture, yeah, and one more picture, let's see if we got one more picture. Okay, well, um, you take a look at that right there, and uh, that picture of the triathlon. So this is what I want us to do. Um, I was walking the dog, feeling really good. Wow, early in the morning, we just walked 2.5 miles. Woohoo! <laughs> Big start to the day. 
big effort, right? Bell and I doing our own little triathlon. And, and I thought, whew, we're the only ones up. Everyone else is sleeping. Already got 2.5 miles in. Bell and I are feeling good. And then I walked over to that lake and this Ironman competition. And it's like, what? They're swimming how far? They're running how far? They're biking how far? An actual Ironman, like they're going to swim like over two miles. They're going to bike over 100 miles. They're going to run 26.2 miles. This might have been a half. Uh, I got to get the statistics and the details. It might have been half. Half is heading in the right direction. I'd be more interested in a fifth or a tenth, personally. Uh, That's more my fraction if we're going to break down a triathlon. But look what they were doing. And I say all this because sometimes we're serving. And we're kind of feeling like, yeah, this is what it's all about, walking two miles with Bella. This is what the church is all about in the sound. We're kind of, we, we reached our potential in the sound. We thank God for the churches we have. And God gives us a glimpse of a whole different level in experience. And it's like, what? People do that? Like, revival happens? Like, what neighborhoods change? Hundreds and thousands of people coming to know Jesus? People getting into God's word? People living for the Lord where they work? What does God want to do in the sound? And sometimes that, that really that double reality of this is what I'm doing, this is what could be, you feel that in Crete? Sometimes we feel that in our own life. I'm not someone who's physically ever going to go for a triathlon. I'm not saying that's God's will for your life. Don't take the application that way. But I am saying in the spiritual realm, it is easy to think, yeah, that's all I could do. And God is saying, there's actually so much more. There's so much more purpose and joy. There's so many more changed lives that I want to do through you. If you humbly abide, listen, but it starts with devotion. This serving together It's not about doing things just for Jesus. It's with Jesus that leads to things for Jesus. It's not just doing things for people because there's a task. Oh, parenting. Oh, spouse. Oh, job. Oh, they want me to serve. That's not it. It's about connecting with people and in community, bringing out the best in each other and watching what God can do. Uh, I'll close with a couple words to think about. Someone said the word alive. They said, I've been so cognitive and analytical lately. I'm not that spiritually alive, and I'm not really serving from my heart. Someone else talked about the kingdom, and just, what if we're really seeking God? And what if we saw God heal, restore, and revive? Someone else talked about community. I'm tired of being isolated. I really want to be with each other, not just in the same room, but be with each other. What are some of the longings that God has stirred during this series on serving? And what devotion could we bring to the Lord today? There's a slide right here. Uh, You're seeing people at our church family make decisions. There's five next steps. You can text the church phone number. Right now is a decision time at the end of the message. If you're here today and you want to take a next step to follow Jesus for the first time, to be baptized, to have a church home, to find a life group, to find a serve, we tried to make it as easy as we could. Just text a church phone number with that word and people are doing that. And we'll just meet you where you're at. None of it's forced, but how is God leading you? Uh, let's stand up together right now. Let's stand. And in, in silence, we just offer ourselves to the Lord. Would you reflect right now on how far God has brought you, how he's provided for you? Will you reflect on that right now?
Will you reflect on your life and the purpose and how to step out of an unproductive life? What would that look like? And you will reflect uh, now about the church, our church, God's family across the sound. What potential have you been sensing? God, as we reflect, as we think about these questions, we pray that you would move us by your Holy Spirit to draw near to you, God, to rely on you, to unite, to use our gifts for you, enjoy, to serve one another. And Father, we need a miracle. We need a move of your Spirit in our hearts, in our families, in this church. We need a move of the Holy Spirit. God, that we would come alive. And this is all for you, Jesus. This is all for you. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord. Yo, subscribe to the YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to this channel.